Musical Theater Writer Guy is recorded as a YouTube channel series on Muncie Lenape and Canarsie lands. The audio from each episode is also released here in podcast form. To watch or to learn more, please find us on YouTube or through my website at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I dot com. Enjoy the show. I think that like in the musicals I've written, like nothing has ever worked out on the first try. Like it's always like many, 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 like just the rewriting process is even more intense than it is for plays, I think, because it's so hard to actually nail it uh, because it's, it requires such specificity. And I think also, I'm sure we'll get to this, but like my process with at least with my most recent, with an Xmas story was to write a, um, to, to like overwrite scenes, to basically write a version of the scene that sucks but that just has a lot of material for the lyricist and composer to pull from. Uh-huh. And, and then I'm like starting from, and then they've written a song and then I sort of have to like work backwards and write the scene around it. Um, even though I already wrote the scene. Um, and like, because of that, it feels like I'm always like, it takes a long time to like get back to the original like story or impulse or whatever. One of the biggest topics in musical theater writing that seems to cause confusion for both writers and non-writers alike is book writing. What is the book, and how do we write a good one? Today's conversation with Charlie O'Leary sheds a little bit of light on the subject. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, back to the new interview series, Writer Real Talk, on the YouTube channel, uh, where I interview writers and other originating artists about their experiences in creating musical theater. Each interview has a topic or a theme that we are likely to discuss along the way, but uh, we're going to talk about Lost Act, so who knows? We'll see how this goes. But uh, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my introduce my guest for today, Mr. Charlie O'Leary. Charlie and I met almost a decade ago. Oh, boy. Uh-huh, but that you're fighting, Smogan. Mm. And um, that feels weird. But we met in the BMI Musical Theater Writing Workshop. Uh, Charlie was in the class, I was auditing the class, and Charlie kept saying really smart things, and so I wanted to sit nearer to Charlie. (laughs) And so we got to know each other and and got to become really good friends, and we're still really good friends, and we constantly do silly things and uh, play board games and all sorts of nonsense. But, Charlie, would you, you, for the audience today, be, be able to tell us a little bit about who you are, how you identify as an artist, what you do, life career-wise, um, maybe what what work of yours people may have seen or come across, that sort of thing? Sure, yeah. Um, I will give a just general life story overview, work, everything. Nice. Um, so uh, my name's Charlie O'Leary. I use he, him pronouns. I uh, grew up in Northwestern Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere uh, and then went to Notre Dame where I got my BA in theater. Um, I moved to New York uh, for the BMI Musical Theater Workshop where I met Michael as uh, as they just said. And um, I uh, then uh, proceeded to uh, like pursue a career in, in playwriting and musical theater writing for the next six years in New York. Um, I, uh, some of the work that I produced in my time there, uh, I wrote a show called Two Star Motel with our mutual friend, Patrick Spencer, uh, that had a small production in 2017 with the Dare Tactic. Um, I, uh, self-produced my, uh, musical that I co-wrote with, uh, Carl Hinsey, also friend of the pod, um, uh, in 2018, and that show was called The Exposed Bone Workshop Collective Ensemble Studio, Not Just Your Average Theater Company, Theater Company Presents When Pigs Fly, a reading series of hot and spicy new American plays written by the artistic director, uh, and that was at the pit. I can't um, believe you just did that one breath, good for you! Thank <laughs> you, I've been, I've had... 
too much practice saying that stupid title. In the posters, actually, it's right here in the mirror. Uh, yes. If you can see it way in the back there. Um, so uh, in 2019, I left New York to uh, move to Iowa City uh, to pursue my MFA in playwriting at the Iowa Playwrights Workshop, which I uh, just finished. Um, my thesis play here was called Basically Children, and it is about uh, age gap relationships and uh, amateur pedophile hunters. Um, and and Gen Z queer politics. Um, so uh, that's sort of what I've been up to. And then I guess the other um, the other thing or the other show I should mention, because um, I'm realizing also everything that I've mentioned aside from my thesis play was uh, was a musical. Um, uh, we I'm currently working on a show. I'm writing book for uh, a musical called An Axmas Story uh, that is coming to the Players Theater in December, uh, yeah. which uh, Michael very generously uh, read uh, a draft of last night. Uh, in a little friends and family table read we had. Um, it's and so that... good, people. You're going to want to go. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's uh, that came to me via Patrick Spencer, previously mentioned, and uh, our other friend, Anthony DeAngelis. Uh, they had a concept for an 80s era uh, slasher film inspired musical comedy um, set on a Christmas tree farm and told from the perspective of the trees. And I could not resist that. So, it's, um, <laughs> it's been really fun. It's, um, I, I don't think of myself as somebody who writes a lot of comedy, but like, uh, I'm realizing most of the things that I've named are like straight up comedies. Um, yeah. so yeah, jokes are fun. Jokes are fun and you're good at them too. So like, oh, thank you. let's, let's put that out there that, uh, like I think of you as a comedic writer. So oh, thank you. even if you don't think of yourself as such, uh, the the Axis story or an Axis story, right? And an Axis yeah. story is a delight, and people are going to want to go. It's the Players Theater in December, right? Yes, uh, December of this year. It's uh, going to be the first three weekends, um, like Thursday through Sunday, and tickets are on sale now. If you can believe it, which I've I cannot. actually already bought mine. So I know. <laughs> oh, I so appreciate. I saw that in the like ovation text thing or whatever it was, and I was like, oh, Michael. Um, of course, as soon as they went on sale, like, yep, yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, wonderful. Well, uh, let's do a, a little like getting to know you as an artist sort of conversation. Uh, some questions before we dive into today's topic, which is uh book writing we're gonna talk about yeah. book writing today because book writing is something that is art <laughs> and you have experience doing so so we should chat but first my first question for you is uh what what musical theater writers work or or um style do you gravitate toward the most yeah um i feel like for me because i transitioned from like I came into theater through musical theater. Musical theater was sort of my first love. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the really formative shows for me were like shows that I listened to. Um, Cause I was again, in the middle of nowhere, I wasn't seeing a lot of, of musical theater, but I was listening to a lot of like cast albums. Um, and uh, for me in like high school and college, like William Finn was really huge. Falsettos mm -hmm. is like probably my favorite musical. Um, and just like meant an enormous amount to me at the time as I was like coming out and like sort of, uh, feeling myself reflected in work for maybe the first time, I think, was was that show. Um, I am a big fan of Adam Guan. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that he is just a delight um, and his sweet, uh, shows are so guy. much fun. And yes, he seems like a real sweetheart too, which yeah. is like wonderful. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, Janine Tesori is, like, I think, like, the reigning champion of, of musical theater writing at the moment. Um, and Ooh, say uh, more about that. I mean, I just think that there is, I, it is hard for me to think of another musical theater composer who has written such a wide range of shows. Like, every wow. show feels like it has such a, like, different... Uh, different style, different approach, like musically. Um, mm. And it always fits the story being told. And um, I don't know. I just think that like her work is really consistently brilliant. And I love that she like collaborates with multiple lyricists. I think that's really fun. Yeah. Um, there's that model of like the, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein and like Aaron's and Flaherty, which is great. And like longstanding collaborations are wonderful. Um, but I also think that, yeah, like being able to like transform yourself to work with new people is is really cool. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then, of course, like, I mean, more recently, I'm thinking, like, Michael R. Jackson, um, mm -hmm. uh, A Strange Loop is, like, a, a show that I, unfortunately, I, I left New York right as it was opening uh, off-Broadway. I did not see it there and uh, have not been back in time to uh, to see the Broadway production. Um, but, like, that, that soundtrack is, like, just incredible to me. Yeah. Um, I think that like, and there's early songs of his too that I remember being obsessed with in in college. Uh, he has a song called Secretly Hoping um, that is, uh, the hook is, uh, it's sung by a, a woman and she says, I'm secretly hoping that you will be my boyfriend even though I know you have one of your own. And it's like a laugh line that becomes like something really sort of dark and tragic by the end. And it's just oh, like wow. the way he turns it from a joke into like something really like moving and heartfelt is like, I, yeah, has always stuck with me. Um, yeah, you know, that's, I, I, that's really interesting because I think that on a microcosmic scale is kind of what a strange loop does mm. just in the show as a whole, like in, in those, <laughs> spoilers for strange loop, uh, just in those opening moments where uh, the thoughts, mm. that's what they call, right? The thoughts mm -hmm. um, are just swirling around the job of being an usher and then by the end, what the thoughts truly mean to him and his identity and how mm. he experiences the world, like that kind of progression throughout the show is really fascinating to watch. I really, yeah, I really would like to see that production very badly. It's good. Um, yeah, yeah I'm thinking like the last time I saw a musical on Broadway that really, I mean, there, there have been musicals that I've seen that I've really loved, but um, I guess also the reason Janine Tesori came to mind is like Fun Home is a really important musical to me. And I think it's doing something really, uh, it was doing something really exciting. Um, yes. Is, I mean, yeah, continues to. Still is, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it, I, yeah, I hope that show is produced for many, many years to come. Um, yeah, and then of course, like the obvious, like people like, you know, obviously Sondheim is like super important to me. And like, I think is like, you know, uh, what in a, one of the like greatest American poets um, and like, uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm trying to think of like who else, but like That's I, a great list. I don't know. I love musical theater, and then also just like my friends. Like I feel like so many people like whose work I love are just like my peers and like people I like met in BMI and like yeah, um, yeah. There are songs from our from BMI workshop that I still like sing in my head that we like <laughs> sing to each other sometimes. So. Um, That's yeah, uh, that, no, that's a lovely answer. I, I really like that you have such a broad range that you gravitate toward, and you clearly have such a deep love for musical theater. And I knew you as a musical theater writer first, so when I began to interact with you more as someone who writes plays, writes good plays, and writes them very quickly, I was like, whoa, probably can do all this. 
That's insane. Um, and I still think you are, I said this to you before, but I'm going to go ahead and say it here on the pod, which is, I think you are the most prolific playwright that I know. Oh, and wow. I, and I think, I don't mean that just in terms of like how many things you can write, but how many things of quality you do write. Mm. Um, Thank you. So I just want to go, go ahead and throw that out. No, I really appreciate that um I sometimes feel like I don't write I, I feel like every writer feels like they don't write nearly enough like every yeah. writer is like I don't write every day I'm therefore a failure but like um it's important to keep in mind I think it's important to keep in mind one of the big lessons of grad school for me was um typing is the last part of writing oh, um say I just, it again I yes it That's like it, I say I say it to myself in the mirror like all the time I'm like you have to live to write and like it's okay that I I write in sprints like I will write in like a two week sprint and like finish a play, you know, very quickly. Um, but like, it's because I thought about it for like a year beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two, two reactive things I wanna say there. Number one is that whole idea of all the stuff that happens in your head first before it hits paper ever. I mean, that's, I think that's really where, where the majority of of writing happens. I know people like to say that writing's really in the rewriting, and I think that's true as well, but mm -hmm. in a different way, right? I think the the create the initial creative sparks moment of writing really happens over a period of time as thoughts like percolate and move around, and you sleep and you shower and you take walks, and things just happen and the ideas come to you. Um, so I really love that 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 typing is the last step of that. Then the other thing I want to say is uh, I was doing a submission yesterday that involved King's Legacy, and I not give a development history, but they wanted me to write out like development, like mm. write in paragraph four what the development has been of this, and then how you would like to use this opportunity to further develop. And as I was going through, I was like, oh, you know, I guess I've only written less than half a dozen shows, but writing King's Legacy, there's there's been so much writing over the past decade that like i guess i discount but there's probably like 40 songs on the cutting room floor like Jeez, i have been wow. writing oh my god you that's know? amazing like, yeah it's that's how i felt with with my thesis play i had never rewritten a play so much before it's like mm. i i think i probably have like 40 or 50 drafts on my computer from the past year and just like the first draft is unrecognizable um compared to the present draft they are 100% different plays. I wrote two very different plays that have the same title and one of them I've thrown in the trash. Um, and like that is, I yeah, rewriting very much is, I, I feel like rewriting that play was very much like spark, 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 spark. Like that, that is still the same kind of energy and like mm -hmm. is very much still the writing. Um, 40 songs. I, I hope that you do a concert just of the cut songs someday. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to pull out some old hard drives to find some of the original ones. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but I will say, hey, four songs made it from the first draft and are okay. still in the show. I mean, all of them are altered, but they're still there. So. I feel like there's usually, I, in everything I write, usually there's like at least one scene that kind of makes it from beginning to end, like mm. roughly unscathed. Yeah. Um, I I did do that thing of like comparing documents to like see with my with my thesis production. I was like, Ooh. I wonder if and like the the final scene has big like paragraphs that are still roughly the same. Other than mm -hmm. that, it's like, but um, 
Yeah, no, I wrote a, a play about Super Smash Brothers in 4chan earlier this year um, in a very quick sprint, in like a four day sprint um, after doing six months of research. And uh, I, most of the play needs to be heavily rewritten, but there's one scene in particular that like, I think just like, I wrote it at like five in the morning, I was like delirious. And I think the scene is kind of done, um, which is wild. And you never know when that's going to happen. No, um, oh, no way. Oh, I love that though. Uh, I love talking about the process of writing, which is not what we're doing today. But the two of us could talk about that forever. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. My next question for you is: uh, What have you seen as, and like, granted, your journey has been, I think, a little bit different from a lot of people's in that you graduated, you spent years doing career, and then went back to school for playwriting. But what have you seen as like your biggest challenge thus far in your career? Hmm. I mean, uh, I guess I feel like my biggest career challenge um, was just honestly accepting that I was a playwright and like that that's Oof. like what I was going to be doing with my life. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that like it and it took me like probably like a good five years out of college before I was like, oh, no, this is what I'm doing. This I am. I like I care about this enough that I can spend my life doing this. Um, and and it wasn't until that point, I don't think that like I took myself seriously enough to be taken seriously by anyone else. Uh, Cause I, my first instinct was like, oh, like, you know, finding an agent or like, you know, getting a production or getting a reading or like meeting collaborators or, or whatever. Um, but all of that is like sort of underneath the banner of like taking your own self seriously, taking your writing seriously and like, yeah. and, and trusting that like you have something worth saying, um, yes. which I think like is, takes time, but also like, I, I think everyone has something worth saying. I truly believe everyone like has a, a million stories in them. Um, yes. So yeah, I, and then, yeah. And artistically, I feel like I've had, you know, many, many challenges and many like, you know, there's been like many learning processes um, like of just like learning how to like write something. And, and I feel like the hardest thing there was learning how to like trim down and like cut to the, the bare bones. Um, I reread some of my like old work, especially old drafts of my old work. And they are just, every scene is so bloated. Everything yeah. is like twice as long as it needs to be. Um, really good for book writing, a musical, um, not what you want for a final draft of a play. Um, right. Early stages of book writing. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I think that like learning how to let go of, um, of like things that I was precious about and like learning that like it is important that every line reveal something new. Um, that was like a, a hard lesson as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, such a good answer, Charlie. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that identity crisis of being able to like call yourself a writer is something that we all struggle with and probably don't talk about enough. Um, but yeah, I, I think once you hit the moment where you feel comfortable calling yourself a writer, things begin to click more because yeah. you're not fighting yourself anymore. Like the resistance mm. begins to disappear a little bit, um, which I think is important. Hard to do for, for people, but but I think it's important. Uh, and then to your other point that you were just saying about like being concise, the best like exercise for that for me was learning to write lyrics in, in the classical mm. way. Like be in my style yeah. using AABA, ABAB, like all, all those very condensed forms 
taught me how precious words are. And in a way that like I was able to then take and move into my scene writing. Yeah. Uh, this needs treat this like a lyric. This needs to be the the only as long as it needs to be and as short as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sometimes like as it needs to be long. Like it that's yeah. okay too. Mm-hmm. But like as short as possible is always, I think like it's respectful of your audience's time and energy and attention. Um, and it also is just like the way to make sure that you're really clear about what you're trying to say. Cause like, yes. if there's a lot of other things going on, sometimes like it's, it becomes muddied, like what you're actually trying to get at and what, what the story yeah. is you're actually telling. Yeah. Um, and I think two, two concepts that have helped me a lot in, in those regards, which are kind of opposite concepts is one of that, like, write it all out and then take away the stuff that you don't need later on that whole like uh finding the statue within the piece of marble idea i think that's a great idea um and then the other thing that i think is a great exercise for anyone who writes for musical theater like words person um it's a pain in the butt for a lot of people i know i actually really like this but uh having to write a lyric to a piece of music that is preset mm, where yeah. you don't get the flexibility to change it. Yeah. Like you have to work within this structure. You only have so many notes to work with. Go. It's actually Same my favorite thing. way to write lyrics. It's Same. so, it's such a fun puzzle. I love the puzzle of it. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people hate it though. No, of course. And like, obviously like, it, you know, writing lyric first, totally valid. Like, you know, there's no wrong way to, to make a musical theater uh, song, but I, I love like when a composer hands me uh, a melody and like, especially when I'm, when it's a strict melody, when there's not room for like little pickup, you know, syllables or whatever. Um, yeah, such a fun challenge. And it's, that's really, I really love the insight that like, of course that like is a useful, like you carry such useful lessons from that into, into writing scenes as well. Um, for me, rhythm and like the musicality of a scene and just like the way that a scene like flows in time is really, really important. And um, I'm realizing that definitely probably comes from my like musical theater background. Um, music, it's everywhere. <laughs> it is. Um, cool, I'd like to reverse now and ask you, uh, what has, have you felt has been like your greatest success so far? Or it can hmm. be the thing you're most proud of either. Yeah. Um, I am really proud of, I, this is maybe, I don't know if like I want to be held to this answer for the rest of my life. Um, but it's, I think like it's gonna uh, be on recording. Oh forever. shit. Oh no, you're recording this? <laughs> ah! Um I uh be- the summer before I left for Iowa, um, in July, I did four shows. I did like a different show every week. Uh the first was a reading of my play. Uh, Ridgeway, which is like still one of my favorite things I've written. It's just a play I'm really proud of and and has um, like, uh, yeah, it's just a play I'm really proud of. Um, and we had a really great cast and um, just a really great team. And like, that was a really fun process. And then like five days later, I performed uh, a solo show, um, which was my first time doing a full length solo show, which was wild, um, which directed by Ivy, Ivy Lowe, uh, who will be directing uh, an Axmas story uh, in December at, at the Players Theater. Um, and she, uh, just like working with her in that capacity was so much fun and so wild. And then the following week I did, uh, a short play or like an hour long play called the goodbye party, which was 
sort of a musical as well. Um, our friend David Carl wrote some of the music. Um, it was just really goofy and silly. I performed in that one as well. We did it in uh, in our, my friend Charles's backyard, uh, Charles Quitner, who directed it. Um, and uh, and then the following week, I had a reading of my play Humiliation Play, um, which is an older play of mine. I had written the first draft in 2015, uh, done some readings in 2015 and 16, and then put it in a drawer for a few years. I pulled it back out because somebody had found it on New Play Exchange of all places. Sign up for New Play Exchange if you haven't already. Um, yes, I have actually great. gotten opportunities. It's really wild, but it, people really do like search New Play Exchange. Um, and uh, so, I had this reading of humiliation play and the draft was like 120 pages. And um, I looked at it and I just started cutting everything that felt like superfluous. And I cut 20 pages in that process. And uh, I don't I don't miss a single word that I cut, wow. like not a word. Um, it's amazing just a little space, how much like that was valuable in that process. So I feel like this like month of like just doing shows I was really proud of back to back to back to back. Um, and like getting just the joy of like sharing my work with like people I cared about and that like I was writing for um, was, I don't know. I'm like, I we don't get to live like that all the time. No one gets to live like that all the time, but like what a joy and like what a pleasure. And like, for me, what a success to like present four things in a month that I, yeah. four different things that I was really happy with and proud of and that were all really different. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I'm both like tired by the thought of it and also so invigorated by the idea of being able to present four things I've written in, in a space like that. That's wow. See what it I mean was about how varied your projects are. You you write everything and you're so good. Thank you. I I'm I will I do have to like admit or like say. Um at that point, that month in July it was my very last month in New York. I had already quit my day job. I like was full-time just doing theater for the month because I had the savings fortunately to do that because I got severance um I yeah uh so um like not something that I again like I see myself being able to even do again but like uh so much fun and now um, I think but when when the residual checks start really coming in yeah be to do that. that's like get that licensing baby do I it. um yeah the I have one 10 minute musical that's published and, and available for licensing. Um, and I every six months they send me a check for like 200 bucks. And I'm like, this is $200. I did not need to do anything for They just sent it to me. Amazing. Passive income. We love it. Um, yeah. It is uh, the, you know, one uh, financially easy thing or good thing about being in the theater um, is like eventually hopefully getting to the point where like somebody else is handling the marketing of your show yes um, yes anyway, yeah like anyone out there who has a piece that is frozen and ready to be published don't sit on it do it publishing yeah. licensing trust me people look for shows all the time you may think your show is even too niche it's not someone wants it you will get a residual check and that's phenomenal yeah 100 <laughs> um well, I feel like you may have answered this question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, of your full-length pieces that you've written, which one's your favorite or or that you're most like proud of having written? Ooh, um, it's, I feel like 
it changes all the time. And it's also like, it is, it's such a like classic question of like, you know, like pick your favorite child, you know, but um, I, for me, I think like, I will always have a really, there will always be a, like a place in my heart for humiliation play Mm -hmm. because it was the first play I wrote that felt like it was really my voice, really my interests, really like doing the things dramatically that I wanted to do. Um, It was my fourth play. And like the three before that are like, plays that I like I think like I'm happy with they served me in their time but like that was the play where I was like oh I can write about the shit that like terrifies me and like that is worth writing about and in fact is like really that's where the that's where the good stuff is um and so yeah I I think like I've written better plays since then I think like the rest of the plays and that's that play is part of a trilogy called shame cycle um the other two plays are the exposure game and findom um, which they all deal with different aspects of, uh, you know, uh, fetish and kink play among gay men on the internet in the early decades of, you know, the millennium. Um, so uh, I'm I'm just like really proud of that cycle in general. But uh, yeah, that that play is um, even though it's not my best play, I think it might be might be my favorite. Yeah. yeah. And if people want to check that out after hearing about it a little bit. You said it's it's on the NPX? It is on NPX. You can download the script on New Play Exchange along with a lot of my other plays are up there. Um, and uh, the other thing that folks can do if they want to check out Humiliation Play is there was actually a podcast reading recording thing of it um, with a company called Dreamwall Theater here in Iowa City. Um, it's through a series called The House is Open. Um, so if you just Google like Dreamwell Theater Humiliation Play or The House is Open Humiliation Play or you know any of those things with my name or whatever, you should be able to find this. It's also on my website. If you like go to plays and click on humiliation play and like, there's a little link to like, and you can listen to it. It's like 80 minutes. Um, nice. And then you don't have to read because you know, <laughs> who wants to do that? Um, so if you're averse to reading, there's still a way to experience the play. <laughs> I love that. Uh, to take it back to musical theater for a second. Yes. Do you have a favorite song that you've written? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, like so many, again, for like different reasons. Um, I think like I've written, this is again, like I've written better songs than this since then. And like, I am, so I'm a lyricist in like, when I do musical theater writing, um, I either write book or lyrics um, and uh, primarily book, I think more recently. Um, But I, uh, you know, have written songs with composers that like, are so musically brilliant. And I never would have been able to like do that on my own. Um, but my very, very first show um, my, was my senior thesis at Notre Dame. It was a musical called Other Apocalypses that I wrote book music and lyrics for because everybody's got to write book music and lyrics for at least one show. I think it's very valuable. I'm glad that I got it out of the way early, but like very valuable. Um, what I learned is I'm not a composer, but um, there's a song in that play called Song for Sane um, that I wrote about my current boyfriend uh like this is a decade over a decade ago now i wrote this song but like um it's uh yeah just like a love song and uh it's like just a little two minute ballad um and uh it's probably a little saccharine but like i don't care um it's like the song that i feel like was i that i was most proud of for a very long time and also that like just really pulled something out of me like emotionally like it just Uh sort of like it comes from a very like 
I, when I listen to that song, I remember what it felt like to be like longing for my partner. And now I'm like with him and like, there's just such a like, things work out, you know, everything, you know, is, is good and like beautiful and like, uh, yeah, I am. Um, oh, that's sweet. But I also wrote a song called Howl Round for um, for the Exposed Bone Workshop with Carl Hinsey that I'm also very uh, proud uh, of because I got to say the word Howl Round multiple times. If folks don't know Howl Round is like the theater commons uh, based out of Massachusetts that like publishes a lot of like semi-academic articles about theater. It's a delight and also funny. So check it out. Um, <laughs> Howl Round is a great resource. Yeah, definitely check it out. Um, and it's based off the, the concept of sound um sound feedback right yes yes that's what a howl round is uh which i did not know for many years until i like googled it one day and i was like oh oh that's kind of like interesting like it, that's actually a really i i don't know if it's an incredibly apt name or like a sort of like are they like, like secretly shading themselves a little bit um yeah, I don't by know. being like it's a feedback loop but like i um but i i don't know i love it um yeah. i do yeah soft spot in my uh heart for for this old song I wrote about my boyfriend David and also for HowlRound. <laughs> you see, I'm glad I asked that question. I would not have known those answers. So that's lovely. Oh, all right, one more intro question, then we'll move on to our, our topic. Is there a specific show? It could also be a musical movie or, or a play adapting to a film, but something involving stage that made a particular impression on you when you were a kid, when you were small. Hmm. I mean, the first musical I can remember seeing was like, or, you know, a professional musical at least was a production of Annie um, mm. in like Pittsburgh that just like, and I remember really enjoying it, but like, I don't think it really, uh, yeah, I don't think it like, it wasn't like a moment, you know, some people have, I think the moment where they're like, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I did not have that moment with Annie. Um, I feel like the first musical or stage thing that I saw that really like sort of like blew my mind and made me feel like I wanted to do the thing might have not been to like Putnam County Spelling Bee, which I probably didn't see until I was like 15 or 16. Okay. Um, but yeah, that show like also just means a lot to me um, yeah. and like is just like it the like structural element the like meta theatrical element like these are like things that i'm still obsessed with today and i think like a lot of my obsessions started there um but yeah i think that my i come from like a music family like my grandpa owned a piano store um and uh you know his kids took it over like i i played piano all through elementary school and high school and like i didn't I, and, and then I was also just really obsessed with stories in general. Like I was a really big reader and like, I was really into alternate reality games, which were like uh, multi-platform sort of thing. Like a character will email you and then you call them on the phone and then there's like a chat or whatever. And then you watch a YouTube video. Um, I was really <laughs> into that. But like, I feel like those are all my inspirations, like more than any one piece of like musical theater that emerged. Um, but then like, again, I started falling in love with musicals in high school. I like, um, yeah, I wasn't able to like let them go. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm still here. Um, yeah. uh, and I'm and I also have to shout out um, when I was 19 years old, I took a playwriting class with Anne Garcia Romero, who like the reading list she put together for that class and just the environment she created 
that was also like a big like, oh, I want to do theater. I didn't know that I wanted to be a playwright, but I knew that I wanted to do theater. And I that I was that there were really cool plays happening that I had no idea. I thought theater was just like Shakespeare. Um, and like it's like, no, it's Shakespeare, but it's also like Julia Cho. Um, yeah. uh -huh. so oh, that's cool. That's cool. I love I love the the mixed uh the mixed answer from like this is what my family was, my background, and then like that that teenager moment of really having a show like hit you in that way of I want to do this. But then also, yeah, educational environments can just like open everything up and make you aware of things you had no idea existed, which will immediately be of interest or not. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes that can be very overwhelming to learn this whole new world. It's like, man, all that fun. Definitely. Um, that's cool. That's really cool, John. Hmm. You're such an interesting guy. I like you so much. You. All right. Right back at you. Oh, thanks. Stop. Um. So to to start off today's topic, which is book writing. Mm -hmm. I am very curious. If you were to, we're going off script now. There are no pre-planned questions. Cool. Uh, if you were to describe the job that is book writing, how would you do it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of different answers, all of which feel incomplete. And I'm going to just start saying them and maybe we can figure this out together. I would <laughs> love to figure out what a book writer does at some point. Um, Me too. <laughs> so, um, I think like the most obvious job of the book writer or the sort of like surface level thing that actually an audience sort of most clearly sees is that they handle all of the non-musicalized text yeah. um, or are responsible for most of the, the non-musicalized text. So any any dialogue basically, um, and uh, as well as things like stage directions uh, are usually fall under the purview of the book writer. Um, structure is also like the structure of a piece and sort of like the, way that things all fit together um, is often uh, the responsibility of the book writer as well. In my experience, that's very much, that's not as much the case. It's it's more collaborative than that, that like yeah. the composer, lyricist and book writer are all sort of working together to find the structure of the piece, to find the story. Um, but there is a model I think of writing book where um, you just sort of write a, a non-musical play that has a lot of room in it and then hand it over and are like, find the songs. Um, yeah. Good luck. Uh -huh. um, which is again, I don't think a model that I've ever really uh, engaged with, but it is interesting. It's to me. And I do model, think that yeah. like structure is still something that like I think the book writer has to have on mind in a way that like the composer and the lyricist don't really have the time or energy to because they're focused on the small structure of each song, and yeah. like somebody to focus on the big structure of the piece is like I think important. Um, and then I think the book writer for me also like tends to think about the logistics of like staging probably uh, and the ways that um, that moments are set up in the show. Um, again, I feel like a lot of that's really collaborative, um, yeah. but I, I also think that like at the end of the day, if I like if I create a doubling schema in a play that like doesn't work. Um, that's like on me and my responsibility as the book writer and probably not something the composer and lyricist actually like should have to worry about figuring out because like writing songs is so deeply time consuming and so yeah. 
deeply challenging and uh and also yeah it just requires a totally different mindset that like yeah. I think having someone to focus on these like other sort of like big picture like what is the show shaped like things are uh it's like valuable I think um, yeah but uh yeah I think I mean ultimately like I don't know they write the dialogue <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh-huh mm-hmm mm-hmm I mean I, th- I get the question a, a lot of uh, what is the book of a show, right? Because we this is something that we have a Tony Award for mm-hmm. is the book of a show. And I, I have definitely seen some people like raise eyebrows at who wins because they don't understand what book is. But do any mm-hmm. of us understand what book is? Um, I mean, the, the definition that I think I've most gone with throughout my writing career is that it is the the story as a whole is the book yeah and that the libretto itself is all words which includes scene work aka script and lyric work aka songs right but but the book (laughs) is this general overall here is the story here's what the story is yeah Um, so i think that idea that you were just saying of like having that outside view looking in on the overall context of everything and how things work structurally is is a large part of that job um which i think also kind of crosses over into what directors do especially collaborative Mm. directors and also into what dramaturgs do like all of these jobs the sometimes like composer and lyricist are the the simplest jobs to define in all of musical theater writing sure yeah no, that's very true. At least like they're, they are clearly definable in a way that like really, and and I guess like, yeah, design positions, maybe like a lighting designer or a costume designer, but even those can get fuzzy in a way that like, if you're writing the music to a show, you're writing the music to a show. Right. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just had a conversation with my roommate, Stephanie, Stephanie Fisher, costume designer. Um, and we were chatting about how costume designers are kind of also some of your best dramaturgs mm-hmm. yeah because they need to know that research and they need to have an outside perspective and need mm. to know like contextually how this scene interacts with the next time we see that character like that is something that they have to be aware of just like the book writer does. yeah oh yeah oh yeah i love when designers like go deep on dramaturgy it's like the best i'm like oh that's what that looks like that thing that i've been writing about for a year um amazing yeah i think one of the the weirdest and most delightful experiences i've ever had as a book writer was the world premiere of king's legacy where i was in the room for production meetings because i was the writer of the show Mm -hmm. but like i i had not that a good truth i answered questions occasionally but like listening to especially designers and the director all have discussions about the thing and how the different elements interact with each other based on what I had written mm. was uh, the coolest and weirdest out of body experience. Yeah. Like sometimes I was like, did I write that? Is this it's talking about my words? I don't remember doing that. It's that funny moment of like, because when you write something, you're the expert on the work and then you hand it over to other people and then they become the experts on like specific parts of the work and like you are no longer the expert anymore. Um, and like, I don't know. Yeah, when I've been in design conversations, I'm like, I have impulses. I like, you know, wrote some crazy thing in this 
script about like the set falls apart and like designers will be like this that's not falling apart like and I was like oh just like do whatever you I don't know um and then like sort of the (laughs) solutions that they come up with are like so much better dramaturgically and like so much better for the storytelling than anything I could have imagined which is wild because like I I wrote it um but uh yeah I I wonder how um yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking about like the musical theater book writer director relationship, and I, it probably is not unlike the playwright director relationship, but mm-hmm. um, it does feel like I I have noticed that my musicals tend to have more in depth stage directions for whatever that's worth. This and, was like, my next question. Oh, Let's great, great, lay it on me. No, I was going to ask, how do you handle stage directions as a book writer? Because I think you handle it the opposite way that I do. But mm, yeah, I mean, I think that like, I mean, in my plays, I my stage directions are very light, like my plays are very conversational uh, and conversation driven. And, um, you know, I, I really try to only include things that are absolutely necessary, unless it's like a sort of like bigger description of like a moment that I d- haven't figured out yet, but like that I trust the designer and directors to figure out. In musicals, I think that like so much more has to happen on each page of the show, like there's so much more plot and action that needs to happen because like there are songs taking up a lot of like real estate in the thing, which is good. And the songs drive the story forward, hopefully, or they reveal character, hopefully, or they're just fun, hopefully. But like um, <laughs> the actual plot needs to like, in the setup for everything needs to happen just really, really fast. Yeah. And one way to do that, I think, is by using like the visual element of, of theater and like, uh, you know, movement and stage direction. Um, and so I tend to go a little heavier with stage direction in in musicals. Um, I, you know, tr- without trying to be prescriptive, I think I also like, um, you know, try to create a, a really specific idea of what, uh, of what each moment like needs to do to carry the story. Um, acknowledging that like, I love impossible stage directions. I write them in my plays all the time. Like, it's again, weird. like the set falls apart thing is like, that thing that I, a trick I've used more than once. Um, <laughs> but uh, in like in Axmas, um, there's a stage direction where like a car drives across the stage with a tree hitched to the top. And like, that is, there is not going to be a real car. There will be a creative solution. But like, what I did know is that there needed to be a moment there that like transitioned us. And I yeah. think that like in a play, I might've just said like, for that, the entire, the, there's a sequence in, in an Axmas story where a bunch of trees are massacred all at once. And in the script, it's like a five page sequence. And I think in a play, I would have just said like, I would have written like a one page stage direction that was just like, it's crazy, it's violent. We can't really tell what's going on. Everything's everywhere. Um, But because this was like set to music and like Uh each action had to be underscored specifically, um, it became imperative to the writing that like I get a little more specific about what those actions were Mm, and like uh not just leaving it up to a director, leaving it up to a director how to stage it, but not necessarily leaving like the number of beats or the order of beats right. up to up to a chance or, or, or to direction or production. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also think that because, again, text has to be so, so, so tight in, in a musical, um, that like additional direction about character can be helpful in a way that I don't think it usually is with plays. With my plays, I like, I'm like, an actor will figure it out. I'm gonna just write the words that they say. And like, I, I try not to like prescribe, uh, you know, how how a line is to be spoken too much. Um, and I try not to do that in my musicals either, but 
I do think that like a little description about like this character is bubbly um, can go a long way in a musical uh, just because you might ha not have the text, like the volume of text to establish that in a way that you wouldn't apply. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's true. Uh, I think that ye old adage of uh, in in a play you have 20 minutes for your setup and mm. basically you have 10. Yeah. And that entire 10 minutes is probably your opening number anyway. Um, you know, like I think that much is true as far as giving a little more uh, about who a character is up front. Um, I, I'm so curious though, because you you said you had sort of an opposite approach. I'm like curious about your approach to stage directions too. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, I, when things are are set to music, I think, I don't think there's any way around it. If something has to happen on a specific beat, that's got to be it, it, in the stage direction. Like, it, you got to have it right there. Um, but I think, generally speaking, I write my musical stage directions more like you write your play stage directions. Oh, cool. Because for me, my job is just tell the story and if there's like if there's a specific moment of action that has to happen or a specific visual that has to happen i will write that out but generally i otherwise like i don't even give scene numbers i just mm. now like I, I will put in the parenthetical where we are and we're going like i'm not going to give you descriptions i'm not going to give you anything i'm just going to give you the scene oh cool i uh see that's like how I want to live my life. And I, I recognize that when I overwrite stage directions, it usually does come from a place of like fear or insecurity about like, have I put all, have I put the story into the text that yeah. is actually going to be spoken and sung? And like, when I feel like I haven't done that is when I like go overboard on stage directions. And like, maybe the, the lesson is just like, it's really hard to like tell a story in a musical. Like it, this is a really challenging form to work in, um, yeah. more so than like any other dramatic form, I think. Yeah, especially when, if action, physical stage action is highly tied to, it could be the plot on the whole, but or it could just be a song or it could just be a scene. Like, if the physical action is really important to the story you're telling at that moment, you do have to lean in and you do have to say what's happening. And absolutely, you can put your like your ideal vision for what that looks like in there, too. Because um, I think that's useful context mm -hmm. when, when people are, are interpreting work. Not that they have to follow it to a T or anything. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Book writing's hard. Oh, so hard. It's... I, yeah, I have, I, I like the rewriting process on, I feel like musicals more than any other, like, I'm like, oh yeah, sometimes like it comes out perfect on the first try and sometimes like things don't work out on the first try. I think that like in the musicals I've written, like nothing has ever worked out on the first try. Like it's always like many, 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 like just the rewriting process is even more intense than it is for plays, I think, because it's so hard to actually nail it. Uh, yeah. because it's it requires such specificity yeah. and i think also i'm sure we'll get to this but like my process with at least with my most recent with an axma story was to write a um to, to like overwrite scenes to basically write a version of the scene that sucks but that just has a lot of material for the lyricist and composer to pull from uh -huh. and and then i'm like starting from and then they've written a song and then i sort of have to like work backwards and write the scene around it 
um even though i already wrote the scene um and like because of that it feels like i'm always like it takes a long time to like get back to the original like story or impulse or whatever um, that's fascinating okay no let's chat about this because again i don't do that that's not how i write my stuff i i'm very like before i even sit down to write a scene i have to decide for myself what the main thing is that would need the song like mm. why are we doing this scene and what is the moment in here that requires singing because otherwise it's just a scene right and then if i'm writing with someone else like if i'm not writing songs then i i need to have that conversation with them so we're all on the same page before i even write my scene or if it's just me like i'll go ahead and like set myself up for the song and pull myself out of it too or however that needs to happen but I'm so curious. Say more about this yeah. writing, especially the writing of the bad version. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I will say when like working on an Axma story with Patrick and Anthony, I, we would have a conversation about the scene beforehand and talk about like, all right, like, you know, what might a song moment be in this and like sort of like what generally needs to happen. And then that is sort of what I would, so I, I was working from something. It wasn't just total, like, you know, random, uh, mm -hmm. like, word vomit. But it was, you know, I, I think, like, we went in not knowing, like, what the hook was or necessarily even, like, which characters would be singing or, like, what, you know, um, what the sort of arc of the song was. Like, that was all sort of stuff that I think was generally found after I had written a version of the scene that, like, provided some kind of shape. Um, mm. And uh, I think that, like, I have also written, I think, the other way, um, which is to say, like, when I was writing Exposed Bone, for which I wrote both book and lyrics, and I was, we also wrote lyric first, and so, like, Ooh. I was able to just sort of write exactly as I wanted, and then Carl just set things to music because he's brilliant and can do that. Um, but uh, I, I feel like that was a case where, like, I did know more. I'm like, oh, here's the shape. Here's where the song goes. Like, here's what a hook might be. And then I can just write. Um, but I think that for me, I with an Axma story, I was trying to actively, and, and my collaborators were sort of asking for me to provide uh, a like dump of material to potentially like pull things from. And there are like in the original like word vomit draft, there are like the hooks for a lot of those songs like are just in the text somewhere. Yeah. It was just like a random line that like Patrick pulled out and was like, this seems like a hook, um, yeah. which, uh, is a lot of fun for me. I mean, that's like enormously fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, trying to think of like what it would be like to um, write. Well, I guess I have done that too. I'm like, I've also written scenes around songs that already exist. When I wrote Two mm -hmm. Star Motel with Patrick, he wrote all of the songs while we talked about the story. And then I didn't write the book at all until until all the songs were written, like the wow, entire okay. song. Um, granted, the songs in that show work a little differently than in a more uh, traditional musical. Like they don't right. really drive the plot in quite the same way, but like we didn't, I, we didn't have the book. We like just had the songs and then like formed the book around it. And like that, obviously I was not trying to like overwrite. I was just trying to like write the scene that needed to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess so. maybe what I'm saying is, all three times I've done this have been, and I don't know what I did. I have no idea what I did for my first musical. Um, so like the four times that I've done this, I, I every approach has been different. And yeah. uh, 
yeah, I think that like just the most recent approach that I've taken is this sort of like overwrite, overstuff, let them pull and then, you know, wind it back. Um, but yeah, like an Axmas story didn't have jokes in it until like the third draft because like I didn't, I just like rewrote the scene around the song and then like, uh -huh. but I didn't like actually do anything to like make the scene pop or like crackle because I was just trying to like get the shape together. Interesting, um, yeah. I don't know, yeah. Huh. I don't know that my brain could work that way. I would have to try that out. I like the idea of it. And, and I mean, I think we all in rewriting processes, when a song is working, but a scene isn't do that mm -hmm. kind of work where we have to rewrite yeah. the scene and make sure that the song is still doing the song's thing, for sure. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> And I also, I love working from when uh, a book writer will like write out a large scene that we know is going to get eaten or monologue that's going to get eaten by the songs. But also as a book writer, I find that really hard to do. I don't mm. like doing that for myself, <laughs> let alone for other people. Yeah. But I will be honest, like that kind of like throwing out a lot of writing, which is what it is. You're sort of like taking a lot of writing and then just sort of like tossing it into the wind mm -hmm. and like expecting that very little of it is going to come back to you. I would like, that is like the kind of writing that I would do like sort of haphazardly in the bathtub, just sort of like clicky clacky. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care about this at all. I just need to get something out and like find a shape. Um, because if I got precious about it, then it would be like devastating. Um, yes. I also, I, I, your point earlier about like, um, I need to know what the singing moment or the song moment in each scene is before I write it makes so much sense. And I feel like it's such a good strategy in many ways because there was there was a scene at the end of Axmas that did not have a song. And we like tried to like, you know, explore a song moment. And we like thought that the scene was necessary for the outline of like for the arc of the, the plot. Um, mm -hmm. But like, there was just no song moment in it. And, uh, and we like looked for one and it was like, this isn't working. There is no song moment. And the scene sat there for a while. And it was just this like, horrible two-page boring scene that like ground everything to a halt. And um, I was just, I, at one point, I, I think that like, I can't remember who suggested it. It might've been Anthony, but one of us was just like, can we just cut it? Like, do we need it? And the answer was, we did not need it even <laughs> remotely, like not in the slightest. And it's because yeah. like in a musical, like if the major moments are not, like, if the songs alone cannot give you at least the emotional arc of the story, uh -huh. probably like, it's not really a musical um, or like it's not doing what musical theater can do at its best. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, which, um, yeah. and I think that I, that idea of just cutting material, which let's be real y'all, it's hard to learn how to do like to, to learn that you can always write more and the next thing you write will probably be better anyway. Like it's hard to cut the things you enjoy. Um, but I think that uh, something that, and I guess this is more of a lyricist thing. No, it's a book writing thing too. Something that, that's been really interesting for me watching my projects develop is as the project gets closer to what it's been trying to do the whole time, certain scenes and songs will not fit anymore. Yeah. Um, there was a song in the premiere that was in the world premiere of King's Legacy that the audience really loved. But I cut it after the premiere. Mm. So I was like, this all actually is not serving the story. Um, and <laughs> I had several people be like, but why? That one was so fun. I was like, yeah, but was it fun because of 
what I wrote or because of what the director did with it. Because mm. what the director did with it was great and entertaining, but it was great and entertaining because it wasn't serving the story. So there was there had to be another way mm. to justify it. And then I was like, yeah. no, well, now like, bye. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be there. Isn't that funny that like great collaborators can sometimes cover up like, you know, issues or flaw- like they sort of like p- manage to paper over. I think it's really valuable to hear your work read by like people who are not like professional actors or, you know, just mm-hmm. because like everything becomes very apparent in a way that like a really good actor can make, you know, really bad work sound amazing. Um, yep. And like, yeah, I love that. Like you sort of recognize that you're like, this moment was like not serving the story. My director figured out a way to make it work in the production, but like that still doesn't mean that it needs to be in the show. Right. Um, that must be, I mean, that's a really hard thing to do though. That's really hard, especially when it's like a song that you like or that your audience likes, especially that you've gotten positive feedback on. Like, uh, that's, but I will this is say, why the concert. <laughs> this is why, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but th- I will say though that, that there was a kernel in there that, was serving the story and that mm. part I kept and became the basis for the new scene and song. Oh, cool. Oh, that's amazing. So like not everything had to go. Which also just like points back towards like the way that oftentimes like the initial instinct is right. Even if like the way that you explored it the first time isn't isn't serving you or the, the play, like going back to your initial like impulse or the kernel of the thing is like usually a really valuable thing to do. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit to yeah. can we can we have a combo about structure? Because yeah. I love structure, you love structure. There are a lot of people out there who are super freaking resistant to structure, which I get, totally get. It. But how do you approach musical theater where structure is concerned? Especially knowing that there are so many options out there for how to structure a show. Yeah. I mean, I think again, every time I've done this now, there's been a different, I've taken a different approach. Uh, I think an access story has been definitely the most typically structured show I've probably ever written. Um, and that it like, it is, you know, it, they, they talk about like the three act model in BMI, the first two acts being before the intermission, the third act being after the first act is like, you meet everyone, you set up, you know, who these characters are. And then at the end, there's like, you know, the crisis moment or the, the, you know, uh, inciting incident um the second act is sort of like you know those things playing out and then you build to a climax or a point of crisis at the end which is your intermission uh you come back with like a charm song to like ease the audience back into the show um and then you know the the plot plays out from there there's like a sort of like split about halfway through where you might include a comedy song like they're uh about halfway through the third act i mean um and uh you know they're like i want songs that go at the beginning and they're sort of like you know, uh, your opening number is probably like a big scene song. Um, you probably have one or two more of those, like whenever there's a, a you know, a lot of plot that has to happen and uh, you're not really sure how to cover it all. Um, th- this feels you like- just like condensed a full day of BMI into a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. I, yeah, I mean like, the, and I find that very helpful and useful. I think that like yeah. when you're writing a protagonist who like knows what they want and like pursues it. And like when, when you're writing sort of a, uh a musical that when you're writing a story that like can fit that model i think that model works amazingly well um i think there's a reason that it's like done all the time um my other shows have definitely all taken on more non-traditional structures Mm -hmm. um the first musical i wrote uh 
alternated between like a, a full scene, like no music, like, you know, like a, an eight to 10 minute scene and then like a three minute song and then another like eight minute scene and a three minute song and just sort of like flashed between those and all of the songs took place in the far future and the scenes were all taking place in the present. So there was sort of like a structural conceit um, yeah. but like it wasn't, uh, it was just a way of organizing I think the the play more than like following a like a, a true like uh, like classic arc structure. Um, mm -hmm. I think like uh, Two Star Motel also has a really weird sort of like time loopy structure where like we sort of repeat the same events from three different people's perspectives mm -hmm. uh, are the three acts of the play. Um, and uh, and then I, with Exposed Bone, it, it's a, uh, Exposed Bone was like a structured as a reading series. Um, so each scene is like a different reading in the series. Um, and many of those were musicals. And then also uh, there were some musical numbers that took place sort of non-diegetically that were like not part of the readings um, that we found uh, sort of later along in the process. Um, and that show, I guess, has more of the arc, a typical arc for a play and that like there's protagonists, there's an antagonist, the protagonist and antagonist fight, and then eventually the protagonist wins, sort of. Um, like that feels like uh, sort of just a very like typical like structure for, uh, you know, a, a work. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm often I am often resistant to that because I feel like when I know what the structure is, then I can tell where the story is going and I never want my audience to know where my stories are going. But sometimes, ah. sometimes it's okay if the audience feels a sense of comfort, I think from the structure. Um, for a lot of stories that can be really beneficial, I think. Yeah, um, well also there's, again, ye old adage of, um, the audience gets more pleasure in a musical by knowing what's gonna happen before the characters do. And I don't know that that's necessarily true in plays. I, I have found that that if I don't know where a play is going, I tend to be more engaged. But with a musical, I like to watch things play out. So mm. I have found for myself it tends to be true. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now that I'm thinking about it, like I think the only musical I can think of that really relies on like a plot twist is Next to Normal. And I'm sure there are others. I'm mm. sure there are a lot of others that I'm just not thinking of. But like. That show like has a, a plot twist in it that like feels like ideally would not be spoiled and like feels like the show is served by this like surprise moment. Um, comparing that to something like Fun Home, which tells you upfront exactly what's going to happen. The entire plot is in the opening number. Like you could leave after that opening number and know everything that happens in that show. Um, and you're right, the pleasure of it is seeing how it plays out. Yeah. Um, and it's not any less emotionally engaging or just like, sort of engaging in, in any way um, for that. Like it's actually more engaging because of that. Right, um, right. Mm. I think what makes surprise really, really difficult in a musical is making sure, and I, I feel like we, we get this tug of war in uh, TV as well, uh, where you don't want that surprise to cheapen everything that came before. Mm, yes, yeah. Because the moment the audience feels like they've been duped in the past two hours has meant nothing is the moment where you have completely lost everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's all just a dream thing. And it's like, then why were we here? Like, Right. Um, and I think that's why, like, certain TV shows will rely on that. Here, I'm going to tell you exactly what happens. Or I'm going to show you the last scene of the episode and then we're going to move backwards and you're going to see how we got there mm -hmm. so that it's not a surprise 
but the surprise is how you got there. And then, but it doesn't feel cheap because you already have a setup and you knew it was coming yeah. anyway, you know? And I think that one of the reasons that Next to Normals doesn't feel cheap is because that surprise moment, we are experiencing what the character is experiencing. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. You are being pulled along that journey in the same way that they are. Yeah. And then that that shock moment happens i won't spoil it for anyone who does not know the show but yeah. that that surprise won't happen to like oh. at the same time that they're like oh. <laughs> yeah you know? that's a really good point it's not a surprise for just the audience it's a surprise for the the sort of like perspective character as well yeah um yeah oh that's i that's really i really like that that's really uh insightful and i think there's also something to be said about the fact that that uh, turn happens about halfway through the first act of the show. Like yes. it happens early. That's probably again in like the three act sort of like version. It's probably the end of act one, but it's like midway through. It's like 30, 40 minutes into the end of the show. Yeah. Um, like it feels like I if that had sort of been a twist at the end of the show, it probably would have felt cheap to me regardless of how it was done. That's fair. Yeah. Um, which is funny because I love I was like formative things. I was like a really big M. Night Shyamalan fan when I was a kid. I like loved The Sixth Sense. I loved Unbreakable. I loved those like stupid twists at the end. The Village, I was like a sucker for it. And I think in, maybe also that's like a, a matter of form, like that maybe works better in film and specifically in like the kind of genre film that he does. Mm -hmm. um, but also like, you know, his new movies aren't good. Like, I, I think, sorry. Um, but like, I, I think that like, there's a way in which like, oh, that is a trick. And like, it's a trick that only really works sometimes. And like, that diminishes in like power over time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. But this has me thinking about other like, quote unquote, twists that happen in musicals, because I think there are some others that I don't think harm the show. Like, and now I'm thinking about Wicked. I'm going to mm. talk about Wicked because it's 20 years old at this point, y'all. But, um, but like when, when Alphabet is not dead, that, mm. that yeah. is technically a surprise moment. Yeah. Ooh. But it doesn't feel cheap in, in, in that moment. And I think maybe part of that is because you know you're coming into a, a story that's not the wizard of oz so you yeah. you're open to the possibility that things will change and have changed like there are things that are different in this story but then also i think you kind of get set up for it by the fact that like we figure out who the tin man is and we yeah. figure out who the scarecrow is and then that twist happens it's like yeah. okay at least we were set up for twists to occur yeah yeah and like, I twists that like rely on an understanding of the original story and that like are playing, that are riffing on a story that we're familiar with. And so there's still that sense of familiarity. There's a sense of like comfort in that, even yeah. as like we're turning it on its head over and over in the second act of that show. Right. Um, with the reveals of all who, of like who the characters turned out to be. Yeah. I, I will also say though, that, that that story very comfortably follows a hero's arc for mm, yeah. and we're comfortable with that story like we expect her to die and if it is a true hero's journey she will be revived in some way right so like yeah. there is that mm, aspect as well. that's a really that's a really good point as well i i think that i mean that show is like alphabet's i want song is like i feel like my go-to like this is how you write an i want song like 
It go, okay. It's the third song of the show, and it goes right there, and it does that thing. Um, <laughs> it does it very well. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm such a, a fan of structure as a writer because I need it. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't understand people who can go into something that is formless. But also, I don't think I've ever seen a piece of, of musical theater that truly is formless. There is a form to everything. Whether or not it's a classical form, I don't care. Like, one of my favorite shows in the world is Company. And that does not fall mm, in classical form. Not even slightly, yeah. But it, it has a very clear structure. Right. And, and and even if you're not thinking about the structure, if you're not analyzing that structure, you can feel that emotional journey the whole time. Like, yeah. And maybe that's where, like, I feel like sometimes I, I'm resistant to, like, the hero's journey. But, like, I do think that, like, you always want to follow a character on an arc. Like, a character mm -hmm. who takes a journey, like, regardless of what kind of journey that is, whether it's, like, physical or, or mental or, like, emotional or whatever. Um, like, you want to follow... You want to follow a journey or maybe even hey i've seen plays like uh, lucas nath i feel like is a playwright who a lot of his plays um like follow an intellectual journey or an argument journey like they're sort of essays as plays wow. that like i that like i'm not following the characters in those plays i'm not like emotionally invested in the characters in, in like the christians or whatever or in red speedo but like what I am invested in is like the argument that keeps shifting and changing. And that's what arcs in those plays. And yeah. that I feel like is still structure. Um, mm -hmm. But usually it's a character because characters are fun and we love characters and we want to relate to people who Absolutely. seem like us. Yeah. Yeah. That identification. I hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Unless there's anything else you want to drop as a nugget about um, writing. I just, the last thing I'll say, I just feel like I should say about structure is like, I feel like it is really, I am never able to finish writing something until I know what the shape of the thing is. And like yeah. the shape can always be different. Like you get to make the shape, but there always needs to be a shape. I think this is like what you're saying is like musical theater always has a form. There's always a structure because like a, if it's formless entirely, it's probably not going to like coalesce into a stage of a musical. Um, right. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, uh, I'm obsessed with structure. I could, I think about it all the time and I have no words to talk about it. Um, Me too. You know what? Uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I guess it's the first time I'm saying this publicly, so here we go. But in in uh, the Musical Theater Writing Collective, what, like the next course I would like to offer is a structure course. Mm. Because I think there's so much to explore that already exists in the canon that people don't necessarily think about. But there are so many ways to write a musical and do it successfully. And there's a track record of that. And like doing a deep dive. Yeah, that, yeah. that gets me Ooh. going. That sounds really fun. Yeah, look at like company in a chorus line versus like the more traditionally structured stuff versus like, a, a, I think spelling bee also is like, has in some ways a classical structure, but also like is so structured around this specific activity or this specific mm -hmm. event. Um, yeah. That's also, I'm a sucker for that too. Just like. Anytime, uh, one of my professor's uh, plays in undergrad that I dramaturged uh, was uh, structured as um, like it was each scene was like a step of the 12 step program. And it was uh -huh. very light touch. Like she didn't really like dwell on this or emphasize it. But I sort of was like, this is the key to the play. Like yeah. it is the whole thing is like it's a 12 step program. That's the play. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, structure, book writing.
Yeah. Thank you for talking to me about it. Heck yeah. All right, I got some wrap-up questions. You ready? Yes. These should yes. be definitely shorter terms. Okay. Um, all right, what's your favorite non-musical theater writing activity? Oh, God. Uh, this is such a bad answer. I love video games. I think they're just great. That's not a bad answer. That's not a bad answer at all. Are you are you a systems person or a computer person? I, I play a lot of walking simulators. So I play those mostly on I played those mostly on my computer for a while. Um, but then they've started being released on Switch. I'm also a Nintendo person, so we've only ever had Nintendo systems. Um, and yeah, I just play a lot of like story narrative games on my Switch. And also, you know, like a lot of other stuff too. But like, mm, I the way that video games can tell a story chef's kiss because it makes you feel like you're telling the story but it's also still crafted um yeah unless you are fully telling the story like when we play smash brothers and you destroy my life like it's the same story every time you destroy my life but <laughs> it happens differently <laughs> that's true i do enjoy i do enjoy good smash brothers right we, we, we craft the story as we as we uh, yeah. live it so <laughs> um is there a story that you either know in the back of your head or you know somewhere in here that you know at some point you want to write? Yeah, I I mean, I feel like there's always like five of them in the back of my mind. Um, the one that I'm most excited to start writing that I haven't started writing yet is I want to write like an I Love Lucy style, like romantic comedy about uh, a, a couple uh, a trans woman and a trans man who invite a like cis straight guy at, to be a third in their relationship. Um, and it is about like the sort of like dynamics of this like triangle of people. But like, again, it's a romantic comedy. I think like it's uh, about like this couple that like ultimately stays together and like loves each other throughout the entire thing. I want to write something happy is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm specifically also, uh, I've been developing this idea with my friend, Bruce Jones, uh, who they would play the the uh, trans feminine role. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I've just been working on it with them for a long time, but I, I'm, I haven't actually started doing the clicky clacky yet, but like, um, it is very much like in my heart and mind and feels like it's been in the back of my mind for a while and is slowly inching its way forward. Yes. So. I love that. Oh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to read that. Thank that you. sounds fantastic. Um, all right. One more. You ready? Yes. What is something that you love or are very proud of? Could be either, either direction here that you don't get to talk about often. Hmm. Something that I'm proud of that I don't get to talk about often. Or love. It could just be something. Or that I love. I. <laughs> oh, this is the worst answer. I looked over at like all of the things that are just off screen because everyone has a mess just off screen in Zoom world. Um, and I'm like, there's just like a bunch of empty cans of twisted tea. Um, I became very into twisted tea this year. Uh, I think it's great. I love that it's not carbonated. Um, uh, a better answer would be uh, that I, I've gotten really into bowling lately. I don't know. Um, I've been just like going bowling with friends and like uh that's been really fun um that's i really sweet. enjoyed it yeah. oh i love that twisted tea and bowling why not <laughs> it's we so are not, western we are not sponsored by twisted tea but if if i mean if, if they want if yeah no, watch it, tea, come on please <laughs> um oh that's great that's great yeah that those sweet lovely like 
recreational activities we do with people. That sounds great. Charlie, where can people interact with you or follow you or find your material? I know we talked about NPX, but tell me all the things that I can drop in the description below. Yes. Um, so I am on New Play Exchange, uh, Charlie O'Leary. Uh, my website is www.charlieholeary.com, uh, and you can, I don't know, read about me there. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram as The Bath Years, uh, which is The Bath, B-A-T-H, as in, like, taking a bath, um, because that's where I, that's where I write. Um, and uh, I'm on TikTok, I think, as well, uh, as nice. The Bath Years. Um, okay. we, we do love TikTok. Um, all of these are... Uh, you know, a little kooky. And I, you know, maybe should try to like separate my personal and professional lives slightly more on social media, uh, but I refuse. So if you want to really see how loopy I am, uh, please follow me on Twitter. Great. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely some stuff out there. Uh, but you know, you check it out before you give a follow. You know, yeah. do a little vetting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Charlie's a delight to follow on social media. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for this conversation today. I so appreciate you and your brain. And this was uh, so much fun. I so appreciate you asking me to do this and like, uh, and just like being down to have a conversation about theater and musicals and writing and like all the stuff that I think about all the time anyway. So this was great. Of course. And there were other things that we discussed as a potential topic that, you know, I mean, I'll just have to have you back. I love it. Heck yeah. And uh, thank you for all, uh, to all of you for watching today. And if yes. you enjoyed this episode, please uh, subscribe, give it a little like, that sort of thing. And uh, tell everyone you know that it's great. I will be. <laughs> Smash that like button, as the kids say. Smash the like button. Oh, boy. Um, anyway, so thank you. And, uh, you know, I'll see you again soon. All right. Thank you all for being here with me today, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Musical Theater Writer Guy, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate and review this show as it really helps others to discover what you already know. And please do share this show far and wide so we may all become an even closer musical theater community.